0: You're listening to a Discourse ZA production. Good afternoon, Dumelan. Good day to all our listeners here in South Africa and abroad. Welcome to Digital Discourse and the TK Show. And the TK Show has one primary objective, which is to try to get conversations started about pertinent issues, firstly in South Africa, the continent, and the wider world. And we try to ensure that these conversations are carried out by experts in the field, people in the know. Today's guest we have, who's in the know, is uh, Frank Lekaba from Northwest University. Not just an academic, but a former actual uh, professional researcher from the HSSRC, which we hope you'll tell us more about. And somebody who knows the African continent very well. Welcome, Frank.
1: Thank you very much, TK. and, And I'm pleased to join TK's show.
0: Yeah, man. Trust you well, boss.
1: No, I'm okay, I'm okay I hope you're okay well.
0: Yeah, good stuff, good stuff Yes, yeah. uh, t- today's show uh, We invited Frank to look at Sona Which is the state of the nation here in South Africa But we wanted to do it a bit differently I'm sure if you've been paying attention to South African politics You would have heard the president give his speech Which was uh, much criticized uh, by opposition parties And some in the community And oddly enough, the business community was quite welcoming of it And over the last two days here in South Africa, we've been listening to the opposition give their feedback. But Frank, I don't want to start with just going over the state of the nation in a who said, she said type of way. But I want to start with a a different angle, which is Mm -hmm. to ask you, what do our Southern African neighbors, SADC, what do they make of the state of South Africa, firstly? And secondly, if you can touch on it, do you think we pay enough attention to what our neighbors think?
1: Okay, uh, thank you, thank you, TK. Uh, I I want to believe that indeed our neighbors paid attention to the state of the nation address here in South Africa because South Africa's development is tied to the region's development, especially the region of Southern Africa. Uh, So, by default, whether they like it or not, they have to listen to it, especially those who are interested in the regional integration process of the Southern African community. So that's one. I want to believe that uh, one would want to understand where is this supposedly regional hegemon seeking to do this year, and how will it approach uh, that which it seeks to do this year. Uh, secondly, South Africa, thinking has, to a certain extent, positioned itself as a, a gateway. Even the president said this in his State of the nation address South Africa over time, it has positioned itself as a gateway into the continent, not only the southern African region. And this, by implication, is that South African businesses uh, or South African companies have infiltrated the markets of the continent and have to a certain extent advanced the business interest of South Africa as to how that does that contribute to the gdp of the country it's another discussion but you know if you go to the for, for instance you find checkers there if you go to namibia if you go to swaziland if you even go to uh, nigeria you found you find a south african business like shoprite uh, standard bank they call it Stanley. Uh, you find mtn Uh, you find all of these what they consider South African businesses originally from here that they have infiltrated the African markets. So, on that front as well, it will be, I want to believe, important for the people of the region and the continent to be interested, to understand what is the South African president saying with regards to uh, what South Africa seeks to do this year. And then, you know, South Africa is also playing a very critical role in the Southern African uh, development community, it kind of plays a leadership role there. Uh, To what extent the foreign policy underwrites the the regional uh, 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 interests, that also remains to be a point of discussion. But I want to say, given all of this, leaders in the region have to be interested in what is happening in South Africa and what what South Africa seeks to uh, pursue this is domestic and foreign police.
0: Well thanks for that Frank, I think you, you raised a very important part and uh, uh, that terminology you use of, of, of hegemon, that South Africa is yeah. supposed to be a hegemon. Now are all hegemons made equal and by that, I ask what type of hegemon are we? Because if one would assume that uh, over the years, going back obviously from present, former president Nelson Mandela and Becky President Jacob Zuma and to the current president, it, it would seem as though we're a hegemon. That we are we by virtue of our economy, are we is that the only reason we're a hegemon, or do we politically carry weight? Because I think you touched on it a bit, but I'd like you just to expand on it. Is it is our hegemony based on only on our economy, the size of our economy, or is it based on that we've got a clear foreign policy of how we handle?
1: Southern Africa and how we lead Southern Africa. It is, it is, it is multifaceted. Okay, uh, let me just start by the concept of hegemon. Contextualize it in what I'm trying to discuss here. The, uh, around 2009 and 2012, there was a fierce discussion among political scientists in South Africa around this conception of what constitutes a regional hegemon. Uh, people like Professor Chris Landsberg, Adam Habib, and uh, Superman Zondi, they held this discussion and there were publications targeted to conceptualize what this concept of a hegemon means. Uh, I, I appreciated what Adam Habib was saying about the question of original hegemon. That philosophically, original hegemon is a state that To certain extent uh has attributes of the cultural economic and political attributes of its neighbors and by virtue of those attributes it then is considered as a champion of what that particular region seeks to achieve so in that conception it tells you that a hegemon is a state that is embedded in what you can define as Southern African politics, economics, and and, and social setup, but there's also another conception that seeks to say see. a hegemon is a is a is a superstate, is a kind of in 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 the in the ways of a Patrick Bond, is a is a is a is a is a is a, 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 a sub-imperialist. Meaning it, it has positioned itself to aggressively advance its interests and colonize or to a certain extent apply aggression to the lesser powerful states around it. Uh, I, yes. So that's uh, what uh, uh, pe- people like Patrick Bond seeks to discuss or have contributed to the discussion. But I'm saying South Africa is a regional hegemon in a sense that in most of the SADC uh, resolutions, there will be an expectation on the role South Africa has to play in whatever is, is resolved at that level. Uh, when when there is conflict in the region, in most cases, the leadership of the South African government is expected to come out here. Uh, you remember the situation in Madagascar, South Africa played a key role even to... Uh, Maghra Valomanana into exile here in our republic, uh, and currently in Lesotho, uh, our, our former Chief Justice, uh, Deputy Chief Justice, is heading a, a reforms agenda there in, in, in Lesotho. Uh, in DRC, you know, during baking what kind of a role we played. So I'm saying when you consider all of these interventions, you get to see where the hegemony Conception of what of the discussion comes from. so South Africa is is supposed to be a hegemon in that way. That what it what it pursues as its foreign policy it must underwrite what must happen in the region. Uh, if there are human rights abuses in Zimbabwe, the the Zimbabweans, elites, and all of the civil society will be putting pressure on South Africa to say. We need your intervention here. That shows you the, the softer power South Africa might have in the region that people might be calling for to be translated into a hard, a hard power. That here is, 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 is Naganga, how do we handle this kind of an individual? Mm-hmm. What should South Africa do in this regard? And you will remember people like Tendai Biti saying South Africa must stop playing small. It is a big state in the region and it must advance and I underwrite the regional development in its foreign policy.
0: Okay, perfect. I think, I think it's interesting that you put it that way. So it's almost as though you're saying, and which is not what we always hear, that it would seem as though our own internal politics, as crowded and as problematic as they are, they don't seem to be, do they seem to be, or don't they seem to be impacting on this agenda which you speak about? Because one might say that it would seem as though, by virtue of, as you've said, those descriptions of hegemons you've given, whether the South African state internally is weak as it currently is, does that have an effect on the on the region or not? Because what you're saying seems to, whether we're weak or not, this will play out. There's, there's no one else to challenge South Africa.
1: It does play out today. Whether the state takes it as a foreign policy posture, or it tries to, you know, spin it the other way around, but it, 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 it comes out very clear. For instance, you would hear a, a, a Zimbabwean analyst or somebody in in Tanzania or somebody, uh, an activist in, in Democratic Republic of Congo saying, we expect South Africa to do one, two, three, four, five. We're expecting the intervention of SADC, particularly South Africa, to be pushing Uh, to do one, two, three, four, five in our country. So whether uh, South African diplomats, South African Department of International Relations or even the presidencies advance a particular foreign policy posture, but there's always an expectation. There's also an expectation that how can what is considered an advanced democracy in the region allow certain dictatorial tendencies to play out in the region and keeps quiet about them. That will come from the sections of the civil society movement. So this is where I'm saying, TK, that whether South Africa likes it or not, that hegemonic influence is there. Hegemonic influence, but it plays primarily in economic sense. But in political sense, the South African state does not want to put it out clear there that this is what would wish, like you remember uh, Botswana under uh, Ian Kama. It was very clear that he stands against what he might consider as rogue elements in the region. And he spoke against such kinds of dictatorial tendencies in the region. So, uh, uh, observers should be saying, why is South Africa quiet when... This one, two, three, four, five is happening in either Mozambique, whether Namibia or whatever. Remember, now there is Islamic militants in in Mozambique. Okay. There's a greater expectation from South Africa, from the Mozambicans themselves. They expect South Africa to take a, a position on that, to lead an intervention in in the fight against those uh, Islamic militants that are. Imaging in the in the north of Mozambique. So that is where you get to see the hegemonic posture coming from a uh, teaching
0: oh, no, Thanks for thanks for that Frank and maybe this will probably weave us into looking at our own internal issues where that this expectation and is there a clear foreign policy in South Africa emanating let me firstly say not just the South African state in the form of government but the African National Congress, and also parties, opposition parties such as the Democratic Alliance and the Economic Freedom Front, fighters, and also the IFP. As in, is there what what is central when when South African opposition political parties and the ANC meet? What is our foreign policy stance? We know very well if we had to take it overseas. If we look at the Germans and even their political parties, are very pro Europe. There's only one which is which is not pro-Europe, but even that it's got its nuances Mm. we know Labour in the UK and the Conservative how their internal issues led to a Brexit we've Mm. just come back from uh, a certain gentleman by the name of President Donald Trump who basically turned the whole Republican establishment and foreign policy thinking on its head by saying America first and America only and now there's Mm. an expectation as you rightly say that Which we see in maybe countries like America where there's an expectation that Biden will, for some odd reason, make everything right. But it's very clear when you look at those political parties. So maybe can you just walk us through the South African political parties and their their understanding of foreign policy and South Africa's role in Southern Africa?
1: The the South African political parties have tried to influence South Africa's foreign policy positions. Especially with regards to the continent, the development in the continent in a broad way. For instance, you remember when Musumeyman was the leader of the Democratic Alliance, he went to, uh, is it, is it, is it, uh, I, I think it's Malawi, where he, he was, he was kicked out or was, he was not allowed into the country, uh, where he was going to support uh, an opposition leader there, and then you remember recently now uh, with Bobby Wine in 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 in, in, in uh, Bobby Wine challenging yeah. Museveni. Yeah. Uh, you remember the the ANC was very quiet, and some of the opposition parties were quiet, but it's only the Economic Freedom fight, uh, EFF, the Economic Freedom Fighters, that came out clear in support of Bobby Wine. So the dynamics of the region, the political dynamics of the region, to a certain extent, also have a bearing in the political allegiances in, in, in the republic. You remember South Africa positions itself as a leader of the liberation movement here in the, in the republic. But when you look at its ideological posture and how it has positioned itself, with regard to uh, speaking out against what uh, Zimbabwe will do in, 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 in Zimbabwe, uh, Zanu PF will do in Zimbabwe, what Swapo will do in Namibia, and all of that, it is very com- uh, complex and different. Uh, you will see when Swapo has got a conference, the ANC sends a delegation, but when Zanu PF has a conference, it's a, it's a different ball game. You rather have one maybe and hg giving uh, uh, an input or all of that but this is due to the historical alliances or historical relationship that these political parties have had in the past and how the alliances are shifting and changing considering the changing of powers and the political actors also in the region so anc will come out in support of frenimo in in Zambique uh it will come out in support of uh uh, uh, uh this party of 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 bo Magufuli in 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 angola in, in uh tanzania yes yes so but it would not come out in support of somebody like bob Wahi in 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 in, 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 in uh, what is this country why am i forgetting uganda. in uganda it will not c- come in support of Bobby Wine. Although it might want to criticize and say we're asking for free and fair elections. But why is it not coming out in support? It is due to ideological alliances and historical alliances that used to be there. And then you start to see opposition parties jump- j- jumping into the bandwagon, supporting uh, uh, Ch- 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 Chamisa in Zimbabwe, supporting Bobby Wine, supporting because they want to s- portray these new actors as uh, progressive actors that are taking the liberation discourse or the liberation aspirations further than the old liberation movement. So you'll have opposition parties here kind of uh, slamming up the ANC together with what they will say is regressive in the region. These political actors that are regressive in the region and attach the ANC to those those political parties so if you don't have a kind of a, a turn out a, a rigid approach to this regional politics they, they are complex the alliances keep on changing and all of that no thanks
0: for that i think you talk about chama chama,
1: producer i always get that wrong. yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah no 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 ccm i always yeah. take the, the shortcut and say ccm <laughs> Yeah,
0: I don't know. It's like Frelimo. If you say Frelimo in Portuguese, it's a very, very long long. It's a very, very long name. No, but yeah. but there's always a question I've always wanted to ask people like you that focus on the continent. As you can tell, South African media doesn't, when they look at the state of South Africa, foreign policy, for some reason, maybe it's because of trade, we look at Europe, we look at America, rightfully so, because they're, they are two of the largest trading blocks we, we do business with. But we we hardly ever look at the continent. And there's a question I've always wanted to, to from the continent side to understand. The ANC currently has its own problems, which we're going to get to later on. If and this is only a scenario were to happen, where the ANC loses power, how would the region react if the ANC <laughs> is no longer uh, the the power? Because from what from the dynamics you've explained, it's almost as though. It's like South African politics. People cannot imagine anything outside the ANC. Anything outside the ANC breaks, as you said, it it breaks that center that people have an understanding of. So I've always wanted to know, how does the region react to an ANC which is weakening within its own state and eventually might lose power?
1: I think the the, the regional observers and uh, uh, political leaders would want to look at the emerging individuals that can really dislodge the agency from power and see how they can align themselves with such individuals, but not per se political parties. Hmm. Uh, and, and I want to argue this using EFF as an example, that the, the, the leaders would, I, I want to believe, and this is my own opinion, would align themselves with Julius more than they would allow, align themselves with the EFF as a political party, and this also uh, has a historical, I think, an influence. It might be argued that Julius has got the remnants of the attributes of the ANC within him, so you can engage him more than you can engage a Muslim man, who. Uh, to greater extent does not uh, uh, ooze those attributes of the ANC or embody those attributes of the ANC and when you look at the posture of somebody like Julius, when they speak about the continent you know they have a particular posture of African uh, pan-Africanism and that I think appeals or might appeal to the African leaders more than the organization itself for you and that will also have any bearing with the other opposition parties to so say uh, how does uh, him and mashaba for instance uh, uh, put himself out there in the continent and what kind of reception will somebody like him and mashaba receive uh, get in in zimbabwe if he's to go there today or uh, the kind of response he will get or a, in, in, in a country like Angola, if you used to say, I'm going on a political visit to Angola. You can already imagine, TK, what the response would be. So when you thinking
0: John Steinhais as a DA. It, it, the complexities it, there would be
1: a bit... Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying, that the political leaders in the continent will be more interested in the leaders themselves, more than the political parties. But that will be with regards to the opposition parties. But with mm-hmm. regards to the ANC, you know, the ANC has always uh, 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 put up this posture of itself as a nationalist African organisation. That it is, it has even influenced nationalist projects in the continent. So uh, for the ANC, it's different. Whoever emerges, uh, staying here than today should Steinhaisen emerge as a leader of the ANC, I think you'll get a, a different reception compared to Hazen as a leader of the DA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so these are, the, these are the dynamics that I'm thinking about, teaching uh, in answering your question.
0: No, no, thanks, Frank. Because the reason I, I wanted to, to to start off in that way is then it's going to bring us maybe to a point which most South Africans will, will probably have a resonance towards. And I like that you went to the individual. President Cyril Ramaphosa, previous to him President Jacob Zuma, previous to him uh, taibo Mbeki, and previous to him President Nelson Mandela. Some people might be saying it's almost as though we're going, we're degenerating in terms of leadership. But what's his stance on the continent? As in, how do, and I like that you explained that TK is not just looking at the individual when it comes to the it's to look at the institution. But if you remember the visit to Harare uh, that happened in December, the famous taxi ride which the the, the African the ANC took on the state uh, on a air flight, if I'm not mistaken, how do they view President Cyril Ramaphosa? Because if we were to ask the question ten years back, I think ten or fifteen years back, how does the continent view t- President Thabo Mbeki? It was a very clear answer: he is the leader of the continent alongside of Sanje. Uh, I think it's a Butafrika from uh, from Algeria and then Mm. there was uh, not the I think it was from Senegal uh, So there was a clarity as to who is this leader President Mm. Serra Moposa where does he stand on this?
1: I think I think uh, President Serra since he took over as the chair of the Of the African Union he just exceeded now uh he got at a time where this thing of uh, African uh, free trade was becoming, uh, was gaining traction, and was uh, its implementation was, was really heightened. So that, to a certain extent, positioned him appropriately, or mm-hmm. positioned him almost to the same level as what uh, Mbeki uh, used to be in the country, uh, because now you have this South African leader coming into the EU uh, in support of this AU agenda uh, uh, and, and advances it so aggressively. He speaks about it everywhere, even in his State of the Nation address this year. He spoke about that. Uh, so he came at a good time, to, to, to get a shine, or to get a platform for one to shine. But when you look at people like Mbeki, he created the platform for him to shine through his own uh, 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 articulation of the rebirth of the continent, uh, the changing of the OAU into the AU, and becoming its first chairperson. It was out of his own engineered foreign policy stance from South Africa. But for somebody like uh, uh, President Seren, he comes in and already there is this platform that has been created. So he gets in and he runs with the initiative. And then you have somebody like President Zuma who comes in. He's not so much interested in in the rebirth of the continent or in the politics of the continent. He gets in, he has got connections there and there. Uh, the brother leader, the popular brother leader. Uh, and then he doesn't come up with a clear, solid agenda under his presidency on the African agenda to say, under my presidency, this is what I will do. In fact, during his era, Chris Landsberg has written a, a general article on this, analyzing the presidency of President Zuma uh, in its foreign policy. And he argues that it's under President Zuma where a uh, foreign policy of South Africa became more inward and more nationalistic and advancement of national interests more than before. It became more pronounced. And you have that in Syria. But it, with Syria, it's hidden by the fact that there's already this continental agenda that he comes in, he comes in, and he comes in at the time where South Africa must become the chair. Of the AU, so he comes in and he gets everything already engineered for him. So he, of course, he leaves a different kind of a a leaders.
0: No, no, thanks for that, Frank, and I do like the way you've been able to describe each president's foreign policy stance, and and then maybe brings us closer to home. And it's a question which I'm sure you get asked a lot of: What should the South Africa, the average South African, okomahigeng, Guamashu, or lamontville soweto? What should they care about uh, South Africa's foreign policy? Because, I mean, at the moment, I think you, you'd probably agree, but again, it's up to you to disagree. The average South African just is struggling at the moment. The, when, you, when you speak of the content, the first thing they think about is these borders, which are, are quite pesky, and the fact that the government, South African government has been poor at managing the border. And, look, and the bigger questions of the economy, that the economy is not doing well. So, how would you then assess the, assess that 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 particular stance of a, of an average South African, which says this? Frank, I, I I'm glad that you know about the continent. I'm glad that you know about ZANU, MDC, Swapo, and the rest. But not I, I just care about my food at the moment, and it's not coming through. What what would you say to that?
1: Sure. Yeah, yeah. It 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 is a sentiment that you'll of course get. Uh, in in foreign policy to in its design tk it is elitist uh, even the discussion around foreign policy and you look at the the kinds of individuals that are interested in the in the foreign policy discussions are elite by, by design hmm. but like i said uh, previously foreign policy is by design an, ex- an extension of domestic goods yeah. so the domestic politics have a greater bearing on how uh, the country plays out itself externally. Look at this. Uh, Trump came in, positioned himself as an advocate of uh, American businesses and champion of uh, the Texas guys and all of that, the, who are industrial players in in. in in the U.S. And he went on under his presidency now to go and challenge things like a uh, uh, Paris agreement. Yeah. When you look at that posture that uh, he was in his uh, election when he first was saying America first, it became a real foreign policy, a posture, where he now said, no, we're no longer going to support institutions like World Health Organization. They don't serve us. we I'm withdrawing America from World Trade Organization. I'm withdrawing America from a uh, Paris Agreement. It doesn't work for us. And so you get to see where, where, where the line is drawn. And you get to see how the, the, in, the interplay between foreign policy and domestic politics. So with, with the South African case, I think it is more, uh, uh, influenced by the kind of the presidency we have in the Republic as to what will the, what will be the conscience of the citizenry around what you might say is a, it's a, is our foreign policy agenda. For instance, you look under Becky's era, uh, TK, that time I was, uh, uh, uh when Becky took over, I was in, in high school. I was still in high school, and I went on to go to to university. The first time I heard of African peer review mechanism is on radio, Mm -hmm. which is a national broadcaster, uh, SABC radio in the northwest, Motwedin. I started to hear about APRM on Motwedin without even having went to university and got a clearer understanding of foreign policy and all of that. So it is about the kind of leadership as well that Uh, a to champion this day that if you hear because there was a regular advert the APRM will be in Lesotho the APRM South Africa has uh, uh, signed what was APRM so APRM was all over on mutating advert Mm -hmm. and I got to get the sense of what is this APRM got to be curious so it was because of the, 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 the the posture of the, the leader at the time. So whether somebody in, in Mahikeng or somebody in, in Guamashu cares about what happens in the domain of foreign policy, it affects them. South Africa in 2009 uh, took it after the American uh, a foreign policy posture that all its allies that are aligned to Iran must start to reduce their relationship with iran since then south africa took a decision to also uh, reduce its, in, its imports of oil from iran and it is precisely because of that that now the prices of oil and the price of fuel in our country started to skyrocket and south africa took a, a decision then around 2009 Uh, I remember this was under uh, President Khalima Mutanti, where it went on to Ghana because there was a discovery of oil in Ghana, where South Africa quickly ran to Ghana to try to get Ghana on par or on board in order to extract oil from Ghana and import oil from Ghana so that we can cover the gap of our disinvestment and disengagement with Iran. So. You know what the price of oil means for an uh, ordinary South Africa. Whether they like it or not, whether they know or they don't know, uh, the price of oil determines the price of what they buy on the shelves in the shops. So, but this is explained by people like us who are in this domain of foreign policy because it is elitist in this nature. Even in the conference of the ANC, go and see a commission that discusses foreign policy. I don't think, we have never had a situation where uh, there was an ANC conference and there was a main, main discussion on foreign policy that South Africa were going to advance the branches saying this is what you want South Africa to look like outside. Mm-hmm. No. So, uh, it, it clearly tell, shows you that there's that gap or there's that uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, apathy when you look at the, the foreign policy domain uh, of a country.
0: No, no, thanks, Frank. Thanks, Frank. And I think as we move closer to, towards uh, the bigger issue, which I think uh, the most Africans want to hear, again, just just a quick recap. We started by just asking you the state of the nation vis a vis how the rest of the continent sees it and, and our region. And you explained, I think, quite succinctly and well that, listen, it's. Uh, it's a bit more complex than that, that South Africa, by virtue of its standing as a hegemon, is taken quite seriously, and that sometimes internal Mm -hmm. politics don't necessarily affect the foreign policy posture. And and you actually explained it by saying that's also because of the, the way foreign policy is debated and articulated in South Africa. It's quite an elitist conversation. So I would take it, Frank, you're part of this elite. We have these very, very high level complicated conversations, but... Frank, it's actually interesting that I like the way the framing you use that sometimes because we look very insolent towards ourselves and we leave this to to an elite, how would you judge the South African political elite in relation to uh, whether we like him or not? President Trump was able to do something which is actually quite unique. We all know because of America's stance and history, foreign policy always plays a part in American politics. But most Americans are like most South Africans. They care about what you said, the bread and butter issues. But he was able to link ma- macro issues such as the Paris Agreement, World Trade Organization, the rise of China, to, to any domestic agenda. And, and in doing this, he was able to actually interrogate, you know, the, the, the political elites of the Democrats and even the Republicans. Because if one thing which people I would ask them to look at is how Trump was able to almost disentangle himself from George Bush, both Bushes. It's one party, but two different stances on, on policy. So, so, Frank, how do you judge South Africa's political elite? Yeah, I think you described quite well to say that there, there is an agenda which is happening, whether we're part of it or not. But how would you judge the South African political elite in relation to how COVID has also affected us? Do we have yeah. a political elite that's able to say, listen, COVID has really damaged the economy? and also the region and this is a new direction we should take or do you judge that maybe our political elites are such that they only seem to work for themselves and not for the for the country
1: most of south african political elites uh, and i want to believe here we're talking about political leaders they're inward what looking it's only two or three people who are interested in external affairs uh julius malema makes sure by in all of his addresses, he he articulates the the, the foreign policy posture, although he might not say it in so many ways. But he will say, "I support Bobby Y." And he will, he will be shocked. Where does this come from? But he does that mo- most of the time. And then you have uh, somebody like hemen Mashaba, who now becomes very unpopular with the Foreign policy started by uh, talking about immigration, arrest illegal immigrants, uh, what to what, close our borders, and all of that, which is a very antagonistic position from the EFF position. Mm -hmm. And by virtue of that, he plays in the domain of foreign policy. But I I want to argue that take what Trump stood for in his first term. In his first uh, campaign, take it and narrow it to South African cause. Let somebody stand up and say South Africa first, and somebody like him and Mashaba should he articulate it just like that? Uh, just you will see the amount of support this person might like get, even mm-hmm. from academics. Even from the elites <laughs> themselves, you know. <laughs> That's true. That's really true. <laughs> yeah. So because when you look at Herman, he takes very micro issues to the to the micro level, but he doesn't have a very good strategy like Trump had. Trump had a very good strategy of elevating micro issues to macro issues, and make macro issues micro issues that is about Americans. So About an American who's working in the industry. we cannot allow China to keep on exporting its cheap material into America and killing American industries. That makes sense for an ordinary American. Hmm. So, but when you listen to Herman, his message is not so much coordinated. You know, his message is mainly on immigration. But he doesn't link up immigration with uh Key issues that are very micro, that are very uh, bothersome to most South Africans. You know, you can now start to say, "No, South Africa is not growing as it used to before, because South African fans hmm. n- are, are no longer outward looking like they were during apartheid era." Hmm. And that will make sense to some, to most of the people on the ground. That okay now. We can hear what he's saying, what where he's going. So ESCOM so used to export uh, electricity, although it, it was mainly supplying electricity domestically, but it used to export electricity, and that, on its own, contributed greatly to ESCOM's ex- uh, revenue, which now ESCOM did, did no longer use to, or did not need to. Uh, increase tariffs on its local consumers for its sustainability. Because it has got a very aggressive strategy on its, uh, outside markets. And that, uh, those outside markets contribute to its, uh, uh, revenue greatly. So Mm -hmm. when you start to speak, fashion your discussions like that, it starts to make sense to an ordinary South African to understand this foreign policy and say, how can we play in that in that in that arena? But I'm just saying, TK, to answer your question, I think there are only two leaders in the republic that are really in, in the opposition benches that are playing in that uh, uh, field of foreign policy. It's Hamen Mashaba and Julius Malem. The rest are, are too domestic. They are narrow. They don't even get to champion anything uh, that mm. uh, might contribute to the foreign policy of the republic.
0: But but doesn't that maybe then Frank speak to the issue that what's the vision of this country, as it relates to government? I mean, well, I think that point you just raised about Eskom and was on another platform with the, uh, Dr. Lum Mwandi, and he was actually saying what you're saying that the reason why Eskom could have afforded to basically go crazy and expand their business was because their balance book was outside South Africa. They could actually, they could go beyond South Africa, and it's actually interesting because what you're simply saying is. Where, If we have a vision that is very clear And mm. it's it's always outward looking As in beyond the South African borders It actually does help our domestic market So mm. for, what then is the That's why I go back to the issue What's the vision of our political And by political leaders I'm also looking at the private sector Which as you, mm. you said earlier on checkers stand big uh, Stand, stand mm. it back, stand big Absa was there for a while but It's come home a bit humble That mm. it's very hard mm. to mm. play on the continent mm. So what's the vision of our
1: political elites? A, it's, a... it's exploitative. Okay. The, the vision of, especially the, the economic players, is very exploitative. Uh, and it is very narrow. Narrow in the sense that when Checkers encounters problems, when ShopRite encounters problems in, in Nigeria, it looks to South African state for it. Uh, intervention when MTN has got challenges it looks to South African state for intervention but its expansion strategy is divorced or insulated from the state foreign policy. Mm-hmm. this is something very uh, contradictory about our foreign policy even the president in his state of the nation address said uh, the 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 African Free Trade Agreement is going to help us to enter into African markets and uh, expand African business," he said so clearly in his State of the Nation address. But how does the state then benefit yeah. from those expansion and 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 and, and uh, growth into the African market? It's not so much clear as to how does that contribute to our GDP. So this is where you get the disjointment between business and the political elites. That the political elites will say, no, we are going out to make sure that the, the environment is conducive for our business to go and integrate them into the African market." But what is the return on investment on that reality? in 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 as far as our GDP is concerned, you don't get it
0: mm. and I think fact this maybe that speaks to the to the larger issue which we always speak about, which is to say and I just want to maybe again bring in the audience to say when we wanted to when we we're framing this conversation, it would have been easy to simply say C, D A E F F. but I love the way you've taken it to actually say, if you really want to judge where a hedging one because that's what we are as as we've established, mm. is going. You need to look at mm. the foreign policy vision. And Frank, mm. so I would, be, would I be wrong in saying that we're a country at the moment that doesn't really seem to have a vision about where we're going. The private sector, as you've said, is very clear. It's yes. expectation, it's a maximization of profits. Whether it benefits the South African state or not, that, that's, that, that's, not that's neither here, it's not their concern, but it's, their concern is a shareholder. So mm. how then, Frank, do you run a country? How then do you become a functional hegemon? Because the Chinese government, (laughs) it's a hegemon at the moment, if I'm not mistaken. They've just opened the largest free trade area in the world. Mm. They've even, I mean, if you look at the history with Vietnam, it's it's never been a a comfortable relationship. But they've Mm. been able to say, Vietnam, we do not get along, we've got border disputes, but come into our circle because we we are able to draw in with our economy. And even though they've got disputes with other island countries, they seem to be a hegemon which says, listen, Let's look at it economically. You will benefit from us. These political things, we'll, we'll look at it later on. So, right. if I had to juxtapose that with us, it doesn't seem like we're very clear in this country about where we're going. Our political elite and our party, specifically the governing party.
1: Here's my opinion, TJ. When you look at the, the US China trade war, uh, it was a war. That was mainly fought at the at the at the level of the private sector, or at the business level, but it had a far-reaching consequence on the on the on the on the state level or state-to-state relations, where where at some point uh, you saw she addressing the challenges of Huawei as a head of state, speaking as if he's the owner of Huawei. But that is because of the integration between the state and the, and the private sector. That The state has got stake in the private sector. So is the, the, the case in the U.S. The state has got the stake in the private sector. But here at home, we don't have much of a stake in, 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 in our private sector. No? We don't have a stake in our private sector. Our private sector is functioning on its own. It is leading itself. Mm-hmm. In fact, our private sector influences our politics. Mm-hmm. So, which should be the other way around? Or we should have a, a common ground somewhere, where the playing fields are leveled. But we don't have that in our, in the, in our republic. So, that is where now you get to see that, uh, for instance, Uh, 2011, South African soldiers died, about 10, died in Central African Republic. And there were questions as to what were these guys doing there? Hmm. Can we get an understanding as to what were these soldiers doing in Central African Republic? What was that intervention all about? And there was nothing of material benefit. That came up from the Department of International Relations to say, why were our soldiers deployed there? But look at the American soldiers, where they are deployed, and look at the, 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 the economic interest there. The American soldiers are, are deployed to places where uh, a, a resource extraction is taking place by, busi- by American businesses. So you have business interests intertwined with the state interests. And that can, therefore, uh, you find that uh, entanglement in the foreign policy posture of the American state and the American business. But here at home, you don't have that. You don't understand, OK, during Becky's era, you would hear that the president went to uh, 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 Côte d'Ivoire. But on his plane to Côte d'Ivoire, you would hear that there were uh, these businessmen and women. In the plane. So y- you, you could see that it, although there will be those diplomatic relations that will be, uh, 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 exploited, the business will also be having, will be also be sitting on the tables to say, where can we interview? How can you come in? And all of that. We hardly have that lately, uh, TKCs, especially you know, during the era of President Zuma. So we don't have that, you know. Although we might look at it outside we look at China we don't have that here Where the business where the state is making environment conducive for the business and the business is intervening to advance the state interest so that the state is not burdened any its social responsibility to its citizens in as far as the fiscal and the budgetary uh, purposes are concerned.
0: No, I think, Frank, that's a a, a very interesting take. Because I think it actually, what you've just described, one could say that actually is a perfect state of South African politics, where the government, being we call it the state, seems to be on its own agenda, and the private sector, which, I mean, rumors are always that they're sitting on lots of money, and they just don't want to release that money, and their argument is always, how can we release it to a state that doesn't seem to be able to govern itself? Which, frank, always brings up that bigger question of, we are in this particular bide. As you know, today, um, the SG Secretary General of the ANC has just gone to court to answer for things in his home province. And we had many visits. I think yesterday was the Minister of Security uh, of Policing uh, and, uh, Mr. Kale went to go visit the old man in Nkantla. And it would seem, Frank, and this is m- maybe an analysis of... Which brings us back to what I started with by saying... How is it that we are always unable to look at the bigger picture? Why is our... Because when you say the political leads, we also have to bring in the media into this discussion because they have a way of framing a conversation. Obviously, the people telling the big stories that the former president, Jacob Zuma, doesn't want to go to uh, to the, the Zondo Commission. But it's actually quite... You put it quite wonderfully to say, listen, to get the if there's a toxic relationship between the elites, private and public, what will tend to happen is one will try to do the other, and one might say that's what state capture really is about, that we have not looked at the totality of state capture, we've only looked at an individual in the form of the president. But what I'm trying to ask is a Frank, you'll tell me if I'm wrong in saying this, that there seems to be, a, because we don't have this vision, this unifying thing about what are our business gonna do in the continent, how is this country going to develop? The only thing you do is that you look internally. You start to self-cannibalize. You, you start to only worry that my president, President Jacob Zuma, is not going to the state capture. And then you start to do this thing, you know, where you hypothesize that because this one individual who the courts have told us what happens if you don't go, it, because he doesn't go there, we have this thing called the constitutional crisis. And the yeah. argument I always... And I want to test this out with you, Frank. The argument I always say is... I would be more worried if we didn't have courts and police that were going to enforce what happens next when you break the law. Which is to say, if President Jacob Zuma, which is his right, to say, listen, I don't, I don't feel this thing and I'm not going. And he's done the calculation that I think it's a, I think I was speaking to one advocate who was saying all that happens now is that he's in contempt of court. It's either they give him a prison sentence, which cannot be more than six months, or he pays 50 pounds it's done and dusted, we know the consequences and we know that's going to be enforced but the yeah. media, South African media are very good at dwelling on a problem and maximizing it and this is where my worry comes in about where the state of our elites are Where would the problem not be that they could not do enforcement not that he didn't want to go and I think maybe that that's why I just want to say, am I looking at the wrong way or, or how is no. it?
1: No, you are correct uh, TK that the if the the politics are too internal and too inward-looking. In every state, if that is how you conduct your politics, you are bound to uh, uh, encounter serious problems. You know, so this issue as well of 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 uh, the, the the former president reflects that, although it is not so much. Uh, directly connected, but it is a reflection. It is a reflection that here is a leader who, when you, if we are to go by the testimonies at the Zondo Commission, who, when you look at the exploitative nature of what happened here in, in the business, the, it was inward looking. In fact, the agenda was now at the level of the state. How can we milk this state if you, if the testimony is anything to go by? Because that's one thing we can rely on now, since well, he doesn't want to go and appear and give us a, a different perspective or a different version of how things unfolded. But you see a deliberate agenda to say, let us milk this cow called a state. Let us milk it for what it all, what it has and... And uh, from there we go. But where you could have said, OK, let's use the state and see what other avenues are there that are not yet exploited, that can be exploited in order to broaden the, the, mm. the, the, the this economy so that it benefits. You know, as more players are coming in, they are all benefited in this economy. I mean, what was the point of the Guptas yeah. playing the kind of role they played here in the Republic, when they could have went outside, when they could Mm -hmm. have taken their ANN to be a more uh, foreign-focused kind of a channel, because already with what we are having, they are all inward looking. Why not have an ANN looking outside? Bring Mm -hmm. us a different perspective of things. Why are you not having a uh, uh, the, 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 the young Zuma, the business guy, uh, why are you not having Duduzani, uh, having companies that are more interested in what is happening in the DRC, what is happening in Angola, and all of that? Why? You, you have these guys cannibalizing here. And mm-hmm. because this cake is not being broadened up, now you end up fighting for the sly that is already depleted, that has been eaten before. So this is the thing: when politics are more inward-looking, the development of the society. I mean, uh, when you when you read Walter Rodney, he speaks about development at the, at a two levels. He says development at the, is at the personal level and at the community level. But when you take the context of the community level in our in our realities, it's at the state level. Mm-hmm. So he says the more the community grows and the more the community develops the more the individuals get more opportunity to grow as well and develop as individuals. So this is the relationship between the individual development and the community development, that you need to enhance the community development for individuals to grow. You can imagine if individuals uh, grow in a society where the development of that society has been halted. Of course, you will now have a a situation where you have a, a number of graduates, in political science, a lot of them unemployed and all of that. But mm. if the society was growing at the community level, at the state level, you wouldn't have this situation where you are now saying there's a skills mismatch. Mm. So this is the kind of the politics that I'm talking about.
0: No, no, thanks, Ed And I think, right as we start to draw to a close, I've got two things uh, maybe just to go over. The first one is, you know, I, I always tell people that... Uh, it's good to be an academic. Uh, academics are great, you know. We can analyze all day, but but uh, but the difference is uh, the solutions. And if you could maybe give us two solutions which you think could really, in the coming years, should change South Africa's foreign policy so that it's no longer so inward looking, but it starts to push push our industry and the state in a in a direction going outward.
1: Of course, Tiki, one of the one of the 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 the. Uh, proposal I will make is that the state has to reconfigure, recon, reconfigure its relationship with the private sector. And the state has to, uh, uh, take the leadership role of the direction of where the private sector is going. And that, and that relationship has to be beneficial to the state. Because the state is beneficial to all of us in the citizenry, government, and the, and, and the private sector itself so the private sector cannot benefit more than the state should benefit from the relationship so that is the first thing i want to see the second thing is we have to have a clear and long term agenda of our own development as a country and as a as a region and the country we have to have a very clear the developmental agenda if you domesticate Nash, uh, the africa we yuan let states be clear on what are those aspects they are going to domesticate because you can not say there must be wholesale domestication of the African one in in an area of science and technology we know countries like Algeria North African countries are more stronger in science and technology and advanced than us here in sub-saharan Africa Algeria, Tunisia, uh, Morocco those countries are advanced in, in, in the science, in the hardcore sciences, the lab, laboratories, and all of that. Yes. The development of vaccines and all of that. those guys are advanced. So when we speak about uh, aspects such as science and technology in as far as Agenda 2063 is concerned, and we are saying, let us domesticate, then what, what role are we going to play? I mean, if you are to say a country like Madagascar, must lead in that aspect of science and technology you see now you are you're asking for somebody who's carrying two liter to carry now five liter of water Uh, you are (laughs) going to make it difficult so let's also let's 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 advance our continental development in that regard that is the second thing the third thing is as a as a continent as countries of the continent We need to be clear. For instance, we are now having Africa African continental free trade agreement. No, we don't have a clarity as to why we have to pursue this. Mm. There is no clarity why it must be pursued. There is no clarity. So we have to be clear. we have to have clarity in as far as that is concerned. What because you might find us invested in things that we don't need to invest up on. True, true. You know, uh, pro- I remember Professor William Gumede said one time, we need to be clear as to what are those things that we are going to give in the in the in the global value chain. We are going to give up, and what are those that we are going to grab, and we are going to say these are the, the fruits you are bringing home, and what they- so. Do we need to industrialize? Do we really have to industrialize? Hmm. He was asking that question. Do we really have to industrialize? Or do, we, do we have what it takes for us to industrialize? You see, we are going to invest uselessly in that. Maybe we might say, let us focus on human development index. Hmm. Let us bring up our human development index and forget about industrialization. Give up that agenda to somebody else. But when we give up that to somebody else, that person must know that, look, you you come in, you play in this sector, but you are going to help us to fund free education. In fact, you are going to cover uh, 80% of the university fees. Mm-hmm. You, China, you are coming in to come and extract our minerals here. Fine, do that. But you are going to help us to build hospitals. In fact, you are going to be responsible for the infrastructure development of hospitals and roads for for. For, for this amount of hospitals that you are going to build, this amount of roads and all of that. You you are coming in as Canadians, you are going to be responsible for our hot purification and uh, extraction of water from the Lesotho. You can come in and play in, the, in your domain, but you are going mm. to help us with this. So that's what Professor uh, William Gumede was saying, that we must be clear, we must have a strategy of what is it that you are going to contribute in the global ZIM chain and what are those that you are going to give up? We are not going to concern ourselves, with. Really.
0: No, thanks, Frank. No, thanks so much for your time. Uh, very cognizant of it. No, no, I think, Frank, if one had to make a summary of it, that the state of the nation, I love what your three points are saying, that clarity, vision, and picking the right things to do. You can't do everything. And I think that, in a way, kind of sums up the problem of where the republic is at the moment. So, Frank, thank you so much for your time. And is a, as a parting shot, anything we should look out for from your side? Any big writings? Any big projects which you want to tell us about as you lead us out of this uh, TK show for today?
1: No, TK. Uh, look, I'm busy. I'm busy trying to contribute something on the understanding of coalition politics and the whole crisis of coalition politics in the suit. So I'm writing a chapter, a book chapter on that. Uh, I'm also writing something on, contributing something to a book coordinated by colleagues from Bo- Botswana on the politics of Southern Africa as to how do we understand the changing nature of politics in the Southern Africa. So those are the major uh, projects I'm involved in now. Uh, I think this is what I can do, given what uh, uh, environment we exist in. You know, uh, COVID has changed so much for us. We, we no longer do the field works as we used to. And I'm, I'm one person who's more orientated to the writing that is informed by field works and research. I'm not one to sit down and thumbs up and read from books and uh, theorize and philosophize out of it, I'm one who likes to go down and interview, conduct interviews. So COVID has made it difficult for us to, to really do our intellectual work uh, besides teaching and learning. But those are the, are the only two outputs that I'm working on now uh, and that are likely to come out this year. Then,
0: no, then, thanks so much, Frank, for your time, man. And uh, yeah, all the best. And I'm sure we're going to have you again.
1: Thank you very much, TK, and thank you for your time, for your invite to the TK show.
0: Coolest. Right?
1: Sure, sure. sure. Hey,